weekly travel program, Jet Sitting with Janet, is proudly sponsored by MLT Car Hire and Tours. Are you looking for a highly professional, established vehicle rental service? Look no further. MLT Car Hire and Tours delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to mltcarhireandtours.co.za for their full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook. Are you looking for a highly professional established vehicle rental service and shuttle service where client satisfaction is a priority? Look no further. MLT Car Hire is committed to delivering quality low mileage vehicles to suit your budget. MLT Car Hire also specializes in mini and long leases for individuals and corporates as well as staff transport and airport transfers with offices at the airport and in the Helderberg area. We are proud members of Satsa, Fedhaza, and Cape Town Tourism. MLT Car Hire delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to MLT Car Hire and Tours for our full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook. Hello, Rihanna, and welcome to Jet Setting with Janet. Hello, Jet Setting with Janet. I am so happy that I'm on the show with you. It's a big pleasure, Rihanna. Rihanna has just returned from a very exciting trip to Japan. And, uh, you know, when one thinks Japan, one doesn't quite think halal tourism. But I was quite intrigued when I read a review that Rihanna had done on her trip to Japan. And I just thought, my goodness, who knew that there was a, an interesting mosque in Japan? Who knew that Eid was celebrated in all of its glory and this amazing food and all the lovely stories of how she sourced things that were halal friendly in a very small town in Japan? So, Rihanna, we're very pleased to have you with us on the show talking all things Japanese and how cool old people look in all those funky clothes amongst <laughs> others. And it's a great time to be to be traveling to Japan because we're all becoming old people very fast. So definitely time for a wardrobe revamp there, Rihanna. So thank oh. you for the guidance there. Oh, um, I find it incredibly interesting. Rihanna, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us what took you to this journey to Japan as a start. Yes, uh, my daughter has gone on a JET program. It's a Japanese exchange program. It's not an exchange of students, but they call it an exchange program where graduates can, um, you know, go to Japan and experience the culture and traditions in a, in, an, in a school environment. So she's gone as an alternate language teacher. She is not a teacher by profession. She's a postgraduate in another discipline. But they invite graduates from English-speaking countries, and South Africa is one of the countries. Um, what know, an interesting and, program, Rihanna. Yes. So that took us to Japan because, she, you know, when, when she got there, I mean, her main reason for going was she wanted to experience a different culture, uh, different to what we what we traditionally know. She didn't want to go to Europe or Canada. Um, and she said it, it had to be Japan. And she placed on her application that she wanted to be in the city. She wanted to see the cherry blossoms. And believe it or not, she got a placement right in the city where the cherry blossoms are. And when she Talk got there... Talk about asking said, the universe for what you want and getting yes, it. Yes, yes. And when she got there, she said, Mom, you will love Japan because of her, the, its heritage and its culture. 
And within three months, we said, right, we're going. Japan was never, ever on our bucket list. Um, I think China was because it seems that I always wanted to go to the Great Wall of China, perhaps Vietnam to go and look at the, you know, the countryside, but not Japan. Um, It's so true, Rihanna. You know, we think of going to Singapore, Thailand, China because of the Great Wall, like you said, and Hong Kong, you know, for the great shopping. But Japan is definitely, you've definitely opened my eyes about uh, the possibility of travel to Japan. I was fascinated with those whirlpools. You must share that with our listeners as well. But Uh, yes. Yes, and I think uh, a lot had to do with, um, you know, the uncertainty being Muslim, you know, what are we going to eat? So when I said to people, I'm going to visit my daughter in Japan, the reaction was always, my goodness, what is she eating over there? Um, So that was quite intriguing. But what I needed to mention was the attraction to go to Japan was because Japan celebrates itself as being the cultural capital of the world. Despite modernity, it has retained its traditions and heritage. So that's because I have a keen interest in in history, heritage, culture, and tradition. And I was keen to just see how does a country who has advanced in artificial intelligence, that when you arrive at Narita Airport, there's a robotic control, um, you know, controlling the airport to, to communicate if there's any cues um, at, at uh, check-in counters and so forth, and they communicated to a central um, room. So it was, it was how did they balance that? Um, mm-hmm. And then that was, let's go Japan. And of course, the question you know, is... Interesting to see a country that has evolved so greatly technologically but continues to stay in touch with its tradition. And it looked quite effortless. I think that is just a phenomenal example. And I'm sure you're going to share lots of examples of this um, as we unpack the story. Yes. So the question was, go Japan, what will you eat? Well, lots if you were sushi and udon noodle lover. And I didn't know about udon noodles until I got there. It's a thickish type of noodle, very, very um, tasty. But firstly, Japanese cuisine eateries are foremost, always busy uh, uh, listeners, packed, and they are queues. But then I'm reminded that the Japanese are you know, unbelievably patient queue takers. They know how to queue one behind each other in a straight line. Not like us. Not like us. I was about to say, (laughs) we are impatient people. So alternative cuisine is minuscule. Uh, Perhaps Italian coming in second as an alternative, Indian also, or Nepali, I think being in the Far East, is almost in every major mall. Turkish as well, the odd Moroccan, and then of course Indonesian and Malaysian cuisine one could find. And I think it's also got to do with where Japan is situated in terms of of the globe. So across the nine cities that we visited over a period of 28 days, as I had said, Halal Japan, and I've got it as a tagline, Halal Japan is the Mm -hmm. question asked most often by immediate family and our Muslim friends. I cannot say that it was easy finding food to eat because it truly was not that simple. The reason being that signs and menus are all in Japanese. So unless you had a phone with a Google app to translate, 
Um, yes, you'll find it extremely difficult. Um, so in a hot 34 degrees Celsius, now I know that might not sound so hot for us South Africans, but if your humidity is somewhere sitting at 80%, oh my oh, wow, my phone is sweating away. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so then I was more than happy just to check in at my daughter's apartment and cook a meal or eat raw, raw thinly sliced cabbage. But you know what? Fruit was unbelievably expensive. A mango costs a 5,000 yen. Now, that is something like 500 rand. Oh, my yeah. goodness. For one yes. mango, Hannah. Yeah, uh, and I love mangoes. I just had to look at them and say, oh, I'll wait till, you know, I'll wait till December. Uh. But citrus fruit, and, and and that was something which I think was very, um, I found amazing, a plenty. Um, but unfortunately, I can't handle a citrus smell, so that didn't do me any good. Now, Coming to what can one eat, um, whilst Narita Airport had two halal diners at the airport and Tokyo had a halal butcher. Um, so it was so easy to reach that halal butcher from the hotel that we were staying at the Shinjuku station. And we opted to rather just buy ample halal supplies and we shipped it, they shipped it in fact, to my daughter's apartment, which is in a different city, about an hour away. So we got everything from sausages to chicken patties to samosas, vegetarian samosas. Wow. As well. in, uh, yeah. there, there was enough vegetarian food to eat, um, but of course they cook it very differently, very raw, very mm -hmm. light, not in a curry the way we would like to have it. So, so but what was amazing was the breakfasts at the hotels now, you know, that was a challenge for our South African or our continental tongue because we're used to having a breakfast in a particular way. But it exactly. was soon that I became quite comfortable with the Japanese breakfast. So typically, um, it was a lot of greens, but very raw. A lot of okra, which is lady fingers, which I love, but I love it in a curry. I never yes, we used to it being curried or deep fried. Yeah, I've never ever thought of just having it lightly steamed. And then, of course, dumplings and soups. But they, they, and they add no salt and pepper to their food. They believe that you get everything from the food that you eat. So that was good. Um, and, but they do eat a lot of pickles. And so that was my, my, my go-to place. I said, right, kimchi and pickles. Kimchi. It's almost, it's almost like achar. They pickle everything from carrots to, sweet potato in, 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 in different forms. Yeah, we, we know generally pickles to be perhaps dried fruit, perhaps uh, mango most often. And, and here came the intersection with my Indian tongue was that they ate, we eat from the region that we come from in Maharashtra, which is the Kokan district. We eat a lot of prawns and, um, and fish. And we eat the dried prawns. Now, it's very smelly. It's got a particular smell if prawns have been dried. And, uh -huh. But it's, it's, it's very tasty. Um, our children, my husband doesn't like it because they don't like the smell. And they, at their breakfast, they were serving the same dish. So I was in my element with, with, with the dried prawns and, and you know, and, and, and shrimps. Um, I must say, Rihanna, that's not an avenue I've explored. Mm, and I love don't it. know whether I would be able to to manage it. I'm not a great fan of seafood, <laughs> so that is quite uh, that is quite a taste, an acquired taste, of course. 
Of course, of course. And if, oh, and, and I think the, the other disappointment for me, um, well, that was a plus that, you know, that I could have the dried shrimps and dried prawns, but it was the boiled eggs. Oh, my goodness, they probably don't boil eggs for, for longer than 30 seconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so there was a no. They make their own style of Japanese egg. It looks like a halwa, uh, almost like a little cake. Um, but lots of green tea. Green tea was very different to the green tea I know in South Africa. It had it had a different taste. I went high on the jasmine tea. Oh, I can, I'm still dreaming about the, the, the jasmine tea. And the portions are very small. Now, the, you know, the slogans everywhere, eat only what you need. And I love that slogan. Dish often. As you like, but take only what you need. Uh, so that was definitely very, very appeasing to me. So, the, of course, certainly, Japan, certainly different from the South African way of eating, no, where definitely. portions are large and very un-American, where everything is supersized. Rihanna, no, it's, it's very. They eat much smaller portions than us. When I when I say much smaller, I would say a quarter of what I normally eat for breakfast. Breakfast is what they eat. Mm-hmm. Including. And tell me, Rihanna, with that extreme heat, did you at least have access to lots of good ice cream? Oh, my goodness me. They, they've got different versions of ice cream. So, yeah, I went to <laughs> Kyoto because we wanted to dress up in a kimono. And I saw the shop and it, it said ice cream parlor and it showed the ice cream cone and they had this three-tiered, what I thought was ice cream. And I said, I want that because just I needed to just cool off and have something to, um, you know, to, to, to cool me down. And in we went and, and I got my ice cream. Ibrahim sat and licked away his cone and mine was a dumpling, three dumplings <laughs> with some green hot sauce. So that was Quite a surprise, you know. Uh, but so explain, it was dumplings with what inside? No, it's dumplings. It's three steamed dumplings. It looks like three ice cream balls. And yeah. then it's, it's hot. And then it's dipped in this matcha sauce or green tea sauce. And so the green tea sauce looks like it's mint sauce, sort of tipping uh-huh. down on this dumpling. I must say, at first, I mean, it's not what I wanted, what I expected, but I soon got to like, uh, you know, the dumplings. They sell a lot of, of, of what we would call suckers, ice lollies, um, and they make it in the mount, you know, they make it in the shapes of Mount Fuji, you know. Um, oh, so, lovely! And it's coloured like Mount Fuji. Fuji. If you look at Mount Fuji from a distance, it's got blue at the bottom and the white snow cap on top. So they do this ice suckers, and it's quite popular. Um, I forgot to mention, the breakfast had a lot of seaweed. So I started eating seaweed and I thought there's so much kelp here in South Africa on our shores. We've not really got, got into eating seaweed. So I started eating this seaweed for breakfast. Um, coming back to Halal Japan, of course, going to Japan, it was, a, it was you know, our intention to visit um, the first mosque that was built there. So that was also part of going to Japan was going to go and see what the first mosque looked like. Incidentally, for those who are not Muslim, uh, I found a temple, I found a church, and I found a synagogue. So there were other, uh, you know, other yeah, there were other uh, sort of, uh, I think Japan, as I said, wants to be the cultural capital. Not once, they probably are, the, they probably is the cultural capital. So yes, we went to a place called Kobe, Kobe, that is how they pronounce it, which is near Osaka. Um, 
and, and of course, we met the imam there, he, and it, that was truly a highlight because he said that his forefathers came to South Africa and, you know, they, they, they landed in, in Durban. And once one made that connection, you know, he generally said he doesn't take photographs inside the mosque, nor of him. But there we were, stepping away with him, taking photographs. So that was one visiting the imam. And we were there, of course, on Eid, Eid al-Adha. We spent, oh, how um, special, Rihanna. I'm yes. really curious, and I'm sure our listeners are too, to hear how Eid happens in Japan. Yes, very much like Eid, because the communities are very small, um, Eid is celebrated with communities coming together or people coming together from different parts of, 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 of that particular town. So Kobe is an international, which is near to Osaka, is an international port. Um, so ship liners often would stop there, I believe, when they are meandering around the, the Pacific Ocean to the, to the east. So Kobe, that's the place. And Kobe, and yeah, I need to mention this to listeners, the Kobe beef is wanted around the world because it has a specific marbling and texture to it. And so the whole of Kobe, the one district, um, you've got a whole range of steak lands or steak outlets, one behind each other. And of course, there aren't many Muslim outlets. So we had to go and book for this Muslim outlet. And they said, sorry, you've got to book four days in advance. We didn't have enough time. So we opted to go for Turkish cuisine. But of course, on Eid, we got a good Eid meal right opposite the lunch. The normal meals that we, we would cook in our home. Biryani and kheer and pakoras and rasmalai. That was on the menu. So we didn't miss How wonderful, Rihanna. <laughs> we didn't miss anything. But it was lovely to meet non-Muslims in the mosque on Eid. And I think a lot had to do with the imam, you know, because he has an open-door policy, which probably plays a great role. And, um, yeah, so, so I felt like I was in the boo cup. Um, Kobe looks like the boo cup. There was enough signs, signage um, everywhere where one can find a mosque, church. Um, I didn't see a, a synagogue in, in, in Kobe, but beautifully mm -hmm. signboarded in a, in a heritage, uh, you know, sort of corner of Kobe, looking very much like the boo cup. So that mosque was founded in 1935 and it's japan says you know it represent it represents japan's tolerance to religion while interpreting that kobe which means uh, in kanji uh, which is japanese as the gate of god and the letter of kobe ko represents god and the be means gates so that is such a special way of describing it i mean I'm just listening to you and I'm excited to travel to Japan because it sounds inclusive, representative, and certainly sounds like an adventure we should all go on. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Just to get that whiff of the steak, if you're a steak lover, oh my gosh, can you imagine um, that, you know, the, the, the smells and what it conjured up in my mind. But we left um, Kobe without eating their wagyu. But we had, you know, other meals um, in, instead. And I, and I will go back. I certainly will go back. I will definitely make it a plan to visit Kobe and book online way in advance. Way in advance. The, the same with, 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 with Narita Airport. In the airport lounges, 
you can also get halal meals, but you need to book it online. Um, and then the other interesting thing at the airport, coming to prayer facilities, right there uh, at, so it's got three terminals. And each terminal has a halal, uh, sorry, a prayer facility for Muslims. Uh, I didn't go and look at the, whether there were any for any other uh, other religions. Uh, I was only looking where to pray. And right opposite the check-in counter at the domestic airport, right there at the domestic airport, sorry, at the domestic check-in, you turn around and it's right there. You don't need to go further down and take an escalator. So it's right there within reach. And of course, you know, you're talking Japan, you're talking self-checking, everything is done on the, on a phone, there's no queues. Everyone is scrupulously honest. If the baggage allowance is 20 kilos, it's 20 kilos. Everybody weighs their own bag. They ensure that they don't exceed that weight limit. It was just amazing to watch these people. Yeah, I'm trying to squeeze things in my bag and it's, nope. And you actually watch the people walk in, put their bags on their scale, take off their handbag bags or their backpacks and they also weigh it. I don't see that happening in South Africa. Um, so that was a, v- a very attractive feature to see the honesty. Um, sense and of accountability fun. too. Yes, yes. You know, so, oh, yeah, so that was, um, yeah. And, and then it, uh, for, for listeners who are traveling to Japan, the two halal restaurants at Narita International Airport is at Terminal 1. Um, they can easily just Google it. I've got the names. It's like Tok, Japanese curry and, st- and creamed rice. And then the other one is called Tentei Soba Sashimi. Um, and they, that's located on the fourth floor of Terminal 1. Another halal restaurant is available on the fifth floor at, of Terminal 2, where they serve that udon noodle I spoke about, and soba, which is certified by the Malaysian Islamic Halal Certification Board. No excuse not to travel to Japan if you are wanting something halal. Um, And then the presence of Muslims were noticeable. And then I was told that it's probably because, you know, uh, students from Malaysia and Indonesia come over to come and study at the universities. Um, and surprisingly, our taxi driver was quite informed on the Muslim fans. So, yes, so we had a couple of surprises um, when we were there. There are lots of apps that one can download for Muslim travelers to navigate your way around um, any city in Japan. And it goes under the hashtag, hashtag halal near me options. And it's amazing because, you know, as I said, the, the artificial intelligence is amazing. Everything works with a push of a button. Um, so there's no need and there's no excuse to say that you are not able to find a halal restaurant or a halal facility or a mosque or a prayer room. Lots of other links as well um, for those who would like to visit Japan. Halal Gourmet uh, is another one, Halal Gourmet Japan, Halal Food Diversity, and so forth and so forth. But you had wanted to know from me more about Naruto, um, the Whirlpools, and perhaps other places. Um, Sorry, Hana, it's been been fascinating just listening. I'm just... So impressed by how thorough your research was for this trip. It really is quite commendable. And I think that halal travelers are going to really appreciate the insights you've given us in terms of food. 
I would love for you to wrap up our interview with the story about the whirlpools, which I think are just fascinating. It's so special and a reason on its own to visit. Oh, no, definitely. So before I wrap up, I would just like to inform listeners that Japanese are very conservative. They dress conservatively. They are not loud spoken. So that was very difficult for me. They have a gentle tone. They're not, they don't use harsh and aggressive language. And as I said, uh, respect is number one of its intrinsic high on the agenda values. Um, and I'd like to talk about that perhaps on another day in, in navigating how to cross roads in Japan and, and, and the etiquette, which is very different to our sales etiquette. There's no tipping, by the way, at all in Japan. It's, it's, it's considered an insult. So That's yes, very interesting. Yeah, so, so my daughter lives on one of the smallest islands, the islands in Japan. It looks like Australia. It's called Shikoko. Very green. Japan is made predominantly, 87% of Japan is mountain and river. Uh, so you can imagine the type of uh, terrain that you are. And, and, and near to her, about an hour away in Takamatsu, is what they call the whirlpools. So we took a bus up from Kochi City, which is the capital of the state that she's in. They call it a prefecture. They don't call it a province. On a lovely bus ride, it, it, it was really uh, perhaps one of the best bus rides I've had compared to bus rides on any other bus I've ever been. Uh, and it, and it, it's very, it, it, it's just the experience. And I'd like listeners to experience that that. You know, they're, they're train travel, they bullet trains and the ordinary trains and their bus liners for themselves. So we went off to Takamatsu to go and to go and visit the whirlpools, which is in the middle of the Pacific. And they've got this bridge. Um, it's a two kilometer bridge that goes from the one island to the other and the Pacific meanders in between it. So as the two oceans, um, the, the Sea of Japan and the Pacific meet, they have, it forms these whirlpools. So the boats take you there and you actually see them whirling away right there in front of your eyes. It does not affect the motion of the boat. The beauty of this, of this bridge that goes across is that it's glass bottom. So if you don't, you know, if you're perhaps worried about being seasick, you can go across the suspension bridge, walk across it, and watch the whirlpools from above. I think that was probably the highlight of our trip. Rihanna Khan Parker, a halal warrior on a trip to Japan, sharing her insights with us here on Jet Setting with Janet on the Magic 828 podcast. Rihanna, it has been fascinating chatting to you. I've gained new insights and I know pretty much where my next international destination is going to be. And listeners tuning in, I'm sure, would have heard interesting insights about Japan that we would not have factored previously. Thank you for shining the light on all things halal and sharing your trip with us in such a immersive way that we too are now excited about Japan. Thank you to 828 Jet Setting with Janet. And let me sign off by saying, Arigato gozaimasu. Thank you, Rihanna. Stay well and thank you for thank joining you. us on Jet Setting with Janet. Thank you for having me. This afternoon, we are chatting to Dilshad Parker. She is the founder of Hungry for Halal, a very interesting resource and marketing platform which helps the halal-seeking South African market 
and the international market to find information and reviews about restaurants, travel services and products in South Africa. Dilshad has quite an interesting background and definitely is a creative at heart because she started as a graphic designer in the corporate world and she now runs Hungry for Halal. Now, I remember at some point that Dilshad was a Cape Town girl, but she now lives in Johannesburg and is quietly and efficiently eating her way through the Johannesburg culinary scene. And... um, Dilshad has been involved in a few ways in the Muslim community. She wrote a monthly column for Muslim Views. And um, under the Hungry for Halal banner, she was invited to be a contributing author to a book called Saffron, a collection of personal narratives by Muslim women. Dilshad, it's so fantastic to be speaking to such a powerhouse in the halal tourism world such as yourself. Welcome to Jet Setting with Janet. Thank you so much, Janet. It's an absolute pleasure to be talking with you as well. Now, Dilshad, besides all of these accolades that I've mentioned before, you also received the Western Cape Entrepreneurship Award in the tourism category in 2018. That was before that big thing that happened that we don't like to talk about, but we're (laughs) very ways there called COVID-19. And that's quite quite a feather in your cap. Of course, you've been featured on lots of television programs. So this radio, you know, is just old hat to you, Dilshad. Am I right? Uh, I don't think you can actually say that. I think um, as much as you, as much as you um, can be featured on television or radio shows, or at least for me, it's always a little bit of a of a of a nerve wracking experience before the time. Well, we're going so. to try and make it as comfortable as possible for you today, and we'd just love to hear all about the Hungry for Halal marketing platform. Thank you so much, Janet. Um, where shall I start? Um, so the reason why the platform came about was because about 10 years ago, um, my friends and I were chatting about where, where we want to go and eat. And we were at that stage in our lives where eating out was like, it, it was what we would do all the time. And um, there was always, we were always looking for somewhere new to go, somewhere different to try. And at the time, the blogosphere was erupting and um, we would then go online to check out what's new and exciting and so forth. And there was a lot of information and reviews you would find about restaurants in general. But trying to find information about halal restaurants specifically was quite challenging. And um, after like some time of, of, of doing this, um, I decided that, well, I'm eating out so much and, and I can write. And why don't I start blogging about the places we go and putting the information out there for other Muslim people who are looking for that information as well. And the blog grew organically. And a few years later, I realized there was a business opportunity to it. And I registered it as a business in 2015. And basically, the rest you can say is history. Now, I've been watching with great interest, Dilshad, because I've seen your business grow. 
And at some point, wearing my Street Smart South Africa hat, I remember chatting to you about, would you like to sign up Hungry for Halal as a participating partner? And we had a little chat. And at that time, it was a couple of years ago, certainly pre-COVID. You know, I've watched with interest how this has grown. And you don't fit the typical profile of the blogger the same way I don't fit the typical profile as an adventurer. So you and I are sort of... Um, you know, unpacking what it means to be an influencer, what it means to be a blogger. And I love that you're now able to have this great influence on Cape Town from your Johannesburg home. How has that transition worked for you? You know, um, just to touch on the whole influencer slash blogger um, title, I've never ever considered myself an influencer or a blogger. Um, when I started this, okay, I mean, technically I was a blogger when I was, when I started the blog. Exactly. But it, but it was a, it was a way of, of, um, getting the information out there. It's not a blogger in the traditional sense of how bloggers are known to be nowadays, you know, as more as content creators and they have huge platforms in their own right. And, um, most bloggers are sitting on, Instagram and um, not necessarily in the true sense of the word blog where you are writing um, articles and and um, and putting together information in a blog space um, in in the written blog space at least so I've always seen what I'm doing as a service um, one to get the information out there and 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 so people can access the information easily and get to know about what's happening in their community and two um, a way to get halal businesses more exposure and um, halal restaurants specifically because there's so much talent in the space and um, they don't have to be frequented by just muslim people so the marketing aspect of it is quite important to me in terms of getting the word out there. Now, Dilshad, I uh, think it's pretty exciting. I'm part of a big friends group. There are about 20 of us and more than 50% of that friends group is Muslim. Oh. So I myself am on this journey discovering all these halal friendly establishments and what works and what doesn't. And it's really opened up a whole new world for me. I think that uh, the fact that you can provide the service and provide guidance and advice on everything from accommodation and restaurants um, is really quite a resource because there's a lot of product. And where does that product go? How does it get consumed? What is the, the access to market for somebody who creates a halal product? Mm. And uh, you've become more and more the first port of call from what I've seen in this space. I think definitely in the hospitality space, the, the platform has become uh, a trusted resource um, of, of reliable information. For one, we, we kind of don't jump on the, um, the the newest happening thing that's, that's going on out there. Um, I tend to curate carefully what we what we share and what we put focus on, and um, also so it, that sort of enables and and um, allows the trust factor to be integral to to the platform. 
Um, so and that and that's quite important. I think um, there's this whole issue about halal and halal friendly in the space that can become quite contentious. And we've chosen to not go um, down the halal friendly road, and we focus only on fully halal spaces. And for that reason, you don't need to doubt the information that you that you're seeing on the Hungry for Halal platform because. Um, there is no halal friendly on the platform. It's purely everything that mm. our platform is fully halal. I've seen that. You know, this week we had a group visiting. Uh, the bulk of the group was from Switzerland, and we needed to find uh, solutions for them in terms of meals. And uh, we went to your resource just so that you know we use it That's even awesome. in our play even in our business yes. and it was quite friend it was, it was quite interesting because they specifically said not halal friendly it has to be halal so we had delegates attending a conference from many african countries and from europe yes and uh, it's quite amazing how that that rhetoric of we don't want halal friendly, we want purely halal comes through quite significantly. And, uh, you know, we were able to to solution them because we went to you as a reference point. So thank you for that, Dilshad. We're using it in industry as well, very, very efficiently. I do find that there is uh, a bit more awareness around, around that now. Um, when I started talking about about this when I started my blog, um, there was very, very little information. And um, the understanding around halal and halal friendly was was also, um, there was a lot of gaps. And that's changing now. And also I think um, there's just so much more in the market at the moment that we have access to. In the halal space, there's been a real explosion of um Eateries, in spite of COVID, interestingly enough, um, yes, there were places that that closed down during COVID, and at the same time, there were places that um, that opened, new places that were launched um, in the halal space. And I think in the last year, there has literally been an explosion. I mean, people are talking now about the market almost being saturated with halal, and. And I, I beg to disagree. I mean, I feel at, at last we have so many options. Rather than it being saturated, we have we have choice now that we never never really had in a big way before. I mean, we still have a ways to go, but um, we are far cry from where we were five and ten years ago. What I was saying, Dilshad, um, is I don't think by any means that the market is saturated because we are ranked the fourth best travel destination for Muslim travelers in the 2017 Muslim Global Travel Index. So yes. I really think that um, it's just uh, definitely a burgeoning market and there's lots of opportunity in the space for further development and growth. And it's been quite interesting to chat to you, Dilshad. I'd love to see where Hungry for Halal goes to from here. And I'll certainly stay in touch with you because I've now become your local 
uh, taste tester in Cape Town. <laughs> That's awesome. Would you like to become a contributor as well? I would love that. <laughs> yes. And we can we can share notes. And I'm looking forward to my next trip to to Johannesburg. I'll certainly um, consult you on where to go and what to do. Uh, oh, always interesting. I'm a Fordsburg fan. Well, um, you know, Fordsburg has moved now. Yes, I know. I know. It's the new Fordsburg. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll be sure to come and check that out, Dilshad. Very interesting chat, Dilshad. Thank you for joining us on Jet Setting with Janet this week. Sorry, Janet. Um, we didn't get to chat about the Hyatt. Um, they're sponsoring the prize, and I really need to chat a little bit about them. Sure. We do that at the end, but you're welcome <laughs> to tell us about this fantastic prize that you've brought to the table. Um, so... One of the services that I that I render as part of the website is obviously marketing services to to the industry. And um, what's exciting about what's happening in the industry is that it's not just restaurants. There's there's a um, an uptake in the amount of halal hotels and accommodation that you're seeing um, in this space. In Cape Town, we've we've always had the um, the highest that's been that used to be the Hilton before um, playing in the halal space and the Cape Townian um, uh, hotel and and various uh, halal guest houses. And now we're seeing in Johannesburg um, several new halal um, hotels have opened as well. Two Hyatt houses in Johannesburg have recently opened. They are apart hotels. And um, so, I'm loving the apart hotel trend. Yes, it's 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 such a um, gives one so much, choices. Absolutely, and we travel so much nowadays. I mean, now that COVID's um, literally almost a thing of the past, um, there's so much more people that are traveling, and the long the long stays are actually perfect for these apart hotel um, scenarios. And um, the Hyatt has generously offered to give one of your readers um, a, a prize from them in Cape Town. The Hyatt Regency in Cape Town will be sponsoring um, a prize of a dinner for two worth a thousand rand at the Hyatt um, Hotel Restaurant. For one of that your... sounds wonderful. I remember last year, Eid, there was uh, just this most amazing spread at the Hyatt. And uh, I think some lucky listeners actually going to be just reveling in all of this glorious food and embark on some kind of fantastic gastronomic journey. So thank you for bringing that to the table, Dilchard. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to have lots of traffic on our portal with lots of entries um, wanting to secure this prize. That is awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Janet. It's been such a it's, pleasure talking with you. It's a pleasure, Dolshad. Yes, All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. We're chatting now to the first girl to play cricket in a boys' team. I mean, it's not all of us that can that can have this kind of interesting life, but Feru's holiday certainly does, and she's gone from being an ex-banker and a forex sales executive to um, owning and managing Halal Hopper, which is an interesting service offering in the Cape Town tourism space. 
Um, Feru says that most Muslim travelers struggle to find local halal eateries and experiences, and she offers a service where she tailor makes authentic Cape Malay experiences, adding to the typical must-do, must-see tourist attractions. And uh, I think this is quite a nice and interesting niche in order to create quite an unforgettable experience for the Muslim traveler. Welcome to Jet Setting with Janet Fairuz. Thank you, Janet. Thank you for having me on your show. And also, assalamu alaikum to the rest of the listeners. Thank you for joining us, Fairuz. I'm very interested to hear how you got to play cricket in a boys' team for Primroses in the Western Cape <laughs> in 1979. <laughs> Janet, you know, I, I come from a cricketing family. My dad is well known. He's Lefty Adams. And, um, you know, we, we used to grow up on the cricket field. And just this particular day, I, I normally keep score. And the A and the B team of Primroses, um, they needed to to do a trial and they had one man short and here was Feru sitting in a in a red t-shirt and a white short you know going to be doing the scoring ready for the field ready for the (laughs) field yeah well not at that moment I didn't know but yeah and then my dad said you know come here went to his tog bag took out his massive shirt and said listen go change and put this on I said daddy but it's like past my knees he said it's okay you can roll it up stuck (laughs) it in and put the cap on put your long, you know, ponytail inside the cap and off you go. I was like, what about my bangles on my arm? He's like, it's okay, you know, you can just go. And yeah, it. when I got over the field, Janet, you know, um, there were reporters all over the place and I was like, what is happening? How <laughs> so fantastic. I was, so I was literally the first girl to play cricket in South Africa in a boys team, yeah. That's very interesting. And, and really, I didn't know this about you, for Fairuz. I mean, there's lots of things we know about you. We know that you're a travel designer, a tourist guide, and on the Exco of Women in Tourism, Western Cape. But you're mm-hmm. also the chair lady of the Halal Tourism Association of South Africa. And you obviously are one of those people who come with a lot of thought capital around all things halal. Um, but you call yourself the chief vision officer of Halal Hopper and you call it a travel and taste experience. Please tell us why you call it this and how this came to be. Okay, so I, uh, you know, everybody, uh, well, in businesses, people are either the CEO or the CFO, you know, and I, I listened to Simon Sinek one day and he was just talking about, you know, how um when you sit in the head, you know, at the top and how you look at the business, you need to have that vision, you know, where are you taking this business to? So, you know, we should be having that that designation being the chief vision officer because this is how you're going to grow this business. And I was like, that sounds like me. So, yes, this is what I'm going to, going to do now. I took the CEO of everything and director of everything I was doing and I changed it to CVO, you know, um, to be the the vision um, officer of Halal Hopper Travel and Taste Experiences. I love that title. It's just so you. Now, this vision that you've had, and I've seen you become more and more active on social media, and it's wonderful because you're starting to claim that space in which you're operating, and it's, it's great to see. What does Halal Hopper actually do? Okay, so um, Janet, I must just add that, you know, Halal Hopper can't be Halal Hopper if it doesn't have collaboration with people in order to have a product. So what we did was journey out to go and find people in the communities because I worked for a company for almost 10 years and I just found 
There was no halal food for us, even as the tourist guides, um, let alone the people that were going on the tours. And then, of course, also um, going into communities and supporting those communities. And I just found that when we started Halal Hopper um, on a very, very negative bank balance um, where a company owed me so much of money as, as a tourist guide. And I was like, you know what, this is where something is going to start with all the years of experience and, um, you know, looking out for communities and hoping to find a way to get revenue to them. And, you know, I love the World Cup with a passion um, and, you know, I love tourists going there, having those experiences. But I also find that our people in the Cape Flats, they don't get these opportunities. So my mission um, and vision, of course, together with my husband as well, we decided that we were going to make the Cape Flats the playground for us for the halal space. And, you know, we were going from we were going to go from place to place. And this is where Halal Hopper got the name from. Well, you've been doing a lot of hopping, Feroz. When did Halal Hopper start? Um, Janet, I've been in the tourism industry well, right now for 27 years. Um, Halal Hopper, she just had a birthday on the 17th of September. And she's four years old. How phenomenal. <laughs> that is just great news. And, you know, the timing is just right. There's a big focus, even from Cape Town Tourism, on all things halal. Yes. Somewhere during lockdown, Feroz, there was this halal tourism course being offered by Crescent Rating. Mm -hmm. And I did the course. Lovely. It was so interesting, you know, just to learn about the little nuances, the appropriate things to do when greeting a guest. And I then encouraged our tour guides in the business to go and do this course online because it is just so, so empowering and um, also a great way to be able to navigate that space. You know, how do you deal with a Muslim traveler, what's appropriate and what isn't. And I'm sure I'm sure these are all things that you can tell us about. What are the do's and don'ts? And, um, you know, what is that market about? Can you tell us a little bit more, Feroz? Yes, sure, Janet. Janet, um, Crescent Rating, they, they're phenomenal in what they do, you know. Um, coming out, having this particular product that they offer with all these global indexes and all of those kind of things, I think it's like really, it takes the stress of, of you as a small business having to go research all of that information. And here you have it, you know, at your fingertips. And I, I think it, it, it's really a good a good um, tool to have, you know, as it's a, a tremendous resource. I've seen that. And, you know, they become a reference point and they've guided thinking, they've brought thought capital to this space of halal tourism as well. Yes, absolutely. So for me in the space, Janet, um, it's always been like this little Feiru's voice. Um, and I also commend Dilshad, uh, you know, for um, doing what she does, making my job easier to find halal eateries for guests that are coming to, or traveling to to um, Cape Town and South Africa as a whole. So for us as a halal hopper, um, I was always going, speaking to people about halal and about, you know, where there's no word such as halal friendly, because we need to establish that in Islam, um, it's either permissible for us or it's not permissible. So there's no in-between. It is yes or no. And you know, to try and get people to understand that, um, you know, but by our approach, it needed to be an approach so that it made it easier for people to understand 
whilst we were creating the awareness around halal. So um, I basically, you know, um, spoke to people, tried to get them to understand what I was talking about. Some got to grips with it and others were, you know, still kind of thinking as to how you're scrambling it around in their head as to what is this halal. And then I thought, you know, why don't I just do some workshops on it so that people can understand, um, like you said, the nuances, you know, the words we use, why we use it, when we use it, all of those kind of things. And Halal Hopper started getting another arm in the business, not only doing tours and experiences, but also helping businesses how to transition to accommodate the Muslim traveler. So many people will buy the thought of, oh my goodness, I need to break down all the walls, I need to throw my cutlery out into the bin, I need to do all of these like big things, major changes. But at the end of the day, when we sat down with them, looked at the business model, and then explained to them that you didn't have to do all of those drastic things, it was only this you needed to do. And of course, we then gave them a list of halal certifiers, and they of course looked at it, um, and they had the conversation with them. Then of course, we take the back step, and they continue the conversation. How empowering for the people that you're working with, Fairuz, because it really gives people the skill to be able to unpack this opportunity, deliver a service, and uh, you know you incubate them for a while, and then they're good to go on their own. So that's really a great resource as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And Janet, it's all about creating the awareness, you know, and um, getting people how to understand how to match this and we can't expect people to know this and go like oh yeah they're not making the change and you know they're, they're inconsiderate it's not about that it's about taking their hand taking them on this journey of awareness so they can understand as to how to service the muslim customer as best as they possibly can from customer service etiquette as you mentioned earlier and of course serving them with food and warmth and hospitality at the same time that's wonderful, Feroz. And, you know, we're in Heritage Month. We're celebrating all of our heritage and culture. And this is a great time to be having this conversation because the Muslim community, like all communities, are interconnected across continents, across the globe. And it's really wonderful that we have resource people right here in the Western Cape who are doing this kind of service and empowering people alongside as they develop their own businesses. Any parting words? before we say goodbye to you, Fairuz. What I'd like to say to the listeners, Janet, is, you know, um, we don't do different things. We only do it differently. So we're still in the space. We've just stepped out and we are now catering to the needs, the call for people because we don't want people to travel with food in their bag. We want to be able to serve them that food when they arrive on our shores. That sounds wonderful, Fairuz. Before you leave us, please tell me, uh, what is happening on the cricket field? Are you still playing? Where can we watch you? Are you still active? No, Janet, I'm active from um, my, the, my armchair. <laughs> and and my, dad, my, dad date. my dad keeps me up to date. <laughs> he said That's to me last night, if you were only 18 years old now and you had to play cricket, imagine where you would have been. I was like, yeah, dad. And he said, but anyway, you left the footprint. I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> That's wonderful. It's been most delightful chatting to you, Fairuz. I follow your your blogs and your posts with great interest. I think I, I'm loving the way in which Halal Hopper is developing. Thank and you. thank you for all the intellectual capital you contribute in your role as the chairperson of the Halal Tourism Association of South Africa. It's a great resource and we thank you for the good work you do. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. And all of this will not be possible if it wasn't for the grace of the Almighty. So thank you very much. 100%. All the best, Pharaohs, as you prepare for season. It's going to be an exciting one ahead, right? Thank you, Janet. And we're hoping to have a halal of a time. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you to our Chief Vision Officer, Fairuz Holiday, for joining us from Halal Hopper on the Hop with Fairuz. Thank you and all the best. Thank you, Janet. This weekly travel program, Jet Sitting with Janet, is proudly sponsored by MLT Car Hire and Tours. Are you looking for a highly professional, established vehicle rental service? Look no further. MLT Car Hire and Tours delivers on service excellence and competitive prices. Log on to mltcarhireandtours.co.za for their full range of benefits or MLT Car Hire and Tours on Facebook.